This morning we have with us my dear friend and mentor, Pastor Ed Sepanoski. When I, shortly after, I first stumbled into Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, more than 25 years ago now, he was one of the first to come alongside and begin pouring into me. Uh, it was a few years later as I became uh, began serving in ministry that that relationship became more formal. And when I went on staff, I came on staff as an intern serving directly under him. And he poured intensely into me for two years before going out and planning a church, having been an assistant at uh, Calvary Oldbridge for 10 years and a senior pastor in another church movement before that, he handed the reins over to me and I was there for almost a decade before joyfully answering God's call to come here. A year or so ago, I asked Pastor Ed to come on our board here at Calvary Wichita. I always uh, on our board want one person who sees with outside eyes, with mature eyes, who, who has an appreciation for the unique work of God here in Wichita, but who can also come in and ask, are you doing that on purpose? Have you noticed that? Do you, do you, do you see that over there? And is that really what God wants for you? Because as, as we gather together week over week, we can become blinded to, to some things. So that outside perspective is so valuable, but to really reap the benefit of that perspective, he has to be here every once in a while fellowshipping with you, hearing your stories, and, and putting eyes on what God is doing here. It occurred to me, in, in talking about our board, it's been a while since I've spoken about how the leadership of the church is structured. So by way of extended introduction, I want to say just a few words about what, what our board is in the context of how God has, has set up leadership over Calvary. In a lot of churches, elders and boards are synonymous um, there's overlap, but our elders, can we, can we throw that slide up? So, so the elders of the church, elder, pastor, bishop, the terms are used more or less synonymously in Scripture. The elders are the under-shepherds, under the great shepherd Jesus of the church. Those of us who are pastors on staff, joined by uh, lay leaders, uh, Denny and Bud and Dade, Mike and Jim, Collectively, uh, the elders are the spiritual leadership of the church, pastoral caregivers. Uh, you recognize men of, many of them as ministry leaders. Mike and Jim oversee our men's ministry. Uh, Amy and Dade are involved in, in leading up our pastoral care ministry. Dade leads a home group, Mike leads a home group, and so forth. So the, the elders of the church are the spiritual caregivers, the teachers, uh, and as I said, the ministry leaders. The board is in this direction. The board has a stewardship responsibility over the church. Where the elders minister to the people of the church, the board's ministry is really to the legal entity of the church. As a nonprofit of the United States, we need to have a board of trustees who treat the resources of the church with the same care, with the same standard of care as if it were their own. The fancy word for that is fiduciary. 
So these are the people who make sure that, that the leadership of the church are good stewards of the resources that you, that the, the, the Lord through you entrusts to the church leadership. Um, they approve the budget, they approve salaries. Um, it's their responsibility to make sure that the leadership doesn't drive the church over a cliff. That, uh, that this work of God continues uh, to be able to minister year over year, um, decade over decade, if, if Jesus delays. So the board is myself, Pastor James, um, who will soon be stepping off to be replaced by Ben Scoville. Denny uh, has been part of Calvary since the tent days back at Calvary Costa Mesa, uh, where God birthed the Calvary movement. Josh, our former assistant pastor, now an assistant pastor at Calvary of the Ozarks, again brings an outside perspective because he was here with us for many years, um, but he can now stand one foot in and one foot out with a great perspective. Pastor Ed, and then Rob, my assistant. One of the, 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 and I've spoken of this before, one of the essential qualifications of a board member is they need to be willing to not trust me. They need to be willing to push back on me. They need to be willing to, to say, has God really said? In a good way, not in a Satan way. And, and if you look at the people that God has called, um, Ben is an engineer. Ben is not loyal to Patrick. Ben is loyal to math. <laughs> Josh is a cop. He's a detective in the Rogers Police Department. He's not loyal to Patrick. He's loyal to truth and justice. Rob, you know Rob. Rob is, is fond of me, but he's loyal to you. His devotion is to the body of Christ. Denny, as I said, his loyalty is to Calvary. He bleeds doves. He's been part of Calvary almost, almost as long as I've been alive. And through four pastors at this church, his loyalty is to the, to the work of God called Calvary Wichita. And Ed, his loyalty is to Jesus. <laughs> He's fond of me, but if it's me versus Jesus, I'm done. <laughs> and so I'm grateful for the collection of, of brothers that God has called alongside uh, to, to the, the, together we can um, be good stewards of, of Calvary. Besides, oh, there we go, besides elders and the board, we have interns. Um, Tommy, with, with Pastor Juan going out, uh, he and his family answering God's call to go assist um, at Calvary uh, Severe Valley in Utah. Tommy is going to be stepping up and coordinating youth ministry. Dakota, uh, more than a month ago now, has been overseeing Children's Church. Abby, we share her between worship ministry and youth ministry. Caleb is our summer intern. It's his first summer here. You'll see him all over the place. Hector and Grayson uh, are stepping into a role coordinating music ministry. And Trinity is also everywhere, facility, office, hospitality, Children's Church. Um, interns are a big part of our body here. Um, they're people that God has gifted, that God has called, that we are blessed to be able to train up in ministry. And part of that training is to uh, give them leadership responsibility under the supervision of pastors and elders. It's one of the really special things about Calvary Wichita. And then summer is coming, and every year we have a summer of service crew 
This is last year's crew. I think this year's crew will bear some resemblance to that. And you'll see them all over the place. You might see them in your backyard raking leaves. You might see them uh, down the street sharing the gospel. You might see them almost anywhere here on the property um, as we get to pour into them, uh, teach them, mentor them, and be blessed by their labors. So that's a little bit about uh, the church leadership here and Ed's place in it. I'm going to get out of the way and let him teach God's word. Please join me in welcoming Pastor Ed. Well, good morning, saints. What a blessing for me to make the journey from New Jersey out here to join with you in Wichita. I was blessed about maybe six years ago, I was able to do a men's conference, men's retreat for you guys, but I haven't been back here since. And, and I'm excited to be here. I was sharing with some of the uh, servants this morning at the servants devotion that, you know, I, I got in late on Friday night and um, have had it yesterday, had a full day with people from Calvary Chapel, Wichita. I was, you know, had a morning meeting with uh, the elders and, and their wives in prayer. And that was just an awesome time. In the afternoon, I got to be at a birthday party and then in the evening with the young adults. And I just want to encourage you all here that the love of God is, is evident in the body of Christ here. And that's so important because we live in difficult days, don't we? There isn't a one of us that would say the days are not evil. I mean, we all say the days are evil. God said they're going to be evil. And yet we, you and I, the body of Christ, have been called for such a time as this. You could have been born any time in history. God chose for you to be in existence through the last couple of years and whatever is coming forward in the next couple of years. God makes no mistakes. He hasn't failed, and he's not going to begin to fail now. He just doesn't fail. He's faithful. He's true. And he is what we exist for. We exist for Jesus. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church in the first letter in chapter 2, verse, verse 2, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Brothers and sisters, I want to exhort you this morning, nothing else matters but Jesus. Nothing else matters. Governments come, governments go. Constitutions come, constitutions go. Jesus remains the same. We might change, and he might change our ministries, and that's okay. But he remains the same. And the answer to every single issue of life is Jesus. Isn't that what we teach the kids in Sunday school, children's church? When in doubt, the answer is Jesus. Well, guess what? For adults, when in doubt, the answer is Jesus. And even when not in doubt, the answer is Jesus. Because Jesus is our life. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's easy in a world in which we live 
when the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the things of the earth try to choke out the wonderful nature of our God. It's easy to, to be distracted. The last couple of months, God has really put on my heart a quote by a, a great man of God who in 1986 went to be with the Lord. Vance Habner um, ministered throughout most of the last century. And in 1986, he went to be the Lord. And somewhere, probably in the latter part of his life, I'm not sure exactly when he said this, but this quote has been resonating with me for months now. He said, if you are a Christian, are you a Christian? Before I even give you the rest of the, are you a Christian? I didn't ask you if you go to church. I didn't ask you if you remember the, you know, I'm in membership at Calvary Chapel, which is I Are you a Christian? Have you been born again of the Spirit? If you have, put your hand up. If you've been born again of the Spirit, if you are alive in Christ this morning, this quote is for you. If you are a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. Okay? We are not, uh, let me, I don't want to butcher his quote. Sometimes I get it right, but I could tell I'm going off on my own thing right there. If you are a Christian, you're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven making your way through this earth. Our citizenship is rooted and grounded in where our names are written by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's who we are. That's our identity. And we can't ever lose sight of that. You know, I've been pastoring since uh, 1991. First as a Baptist, and then, you know, the Lord blessed me by letting me become a part of the Calvary Chapel movement. And I've been in the Calvary Chapel movement since 1993. So not as long as you, Dennis, but, you know, I wasn't at the tent. I came, I, I, actually, I lived in California. I lived in Pasadena for three years and never knew Calvary Chapel existed when I was there. It wasn't until I went back to New Jersey that I was introduced to Calvary Chapel Ministries. And as a result, for all of my years of pastoring, whether it was in the local church, and I don't pastor a local church anymore. I'm turning 70 next week, and God has called me into a ministry to pastors, and so I don't pastor a local church. But for, for 25 years in the local church, even before I was in the Calvary Chapel movement, I taught verse by verse. Because verse by verse is what the body of Christ needs. But now I get to come in, and I get to move you all over the place. I don't usually stick in one text now. But I can only do that because I was well-equipped for 25 years in the totality of the scriptures. And so we're going to be in a couple of places. And the first place we're going to be this morning is in Psalm 124. In Psalm 124 is an, a Psalm of David, as most of the Psalms are. And I think it's appropriate because, as I was saying, we live in a world that is crazy. There's no other, I mean, the best description is evil. The mayor of New York yesterday proclaimed women have the right to abortion until they give birth. 
The state of Maryland is looking to pass a law that says for 30 days after birth, you can kill a child. Yes, that's the world we're living in, folks. Without Christ, they have no idea of what is right or wrong. And so we live in a world where it could be really discouraging. You ever get discouraged by what you see around you? I do. My heart grieves over the condition of the world, not just our nation, but over the condition of the world and sometimes over the condition of the church. Or should I say the so-called church? Where's our hope come from? We sing songs all the time. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Is that where your hope is? It better be. I'm telling you right now, if it's not, you're going to get thrown for a loop. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be next week. But if you are not rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, who dwells in you, having control of you, you're going to be frustrated. And maybe even worse, you might compromise. You might compromise. We've even called to compromise. The world doesn't need compromising Christians. The world needs believers. And so where is the answer? The answer is in God. It always has been and it always will be in God. He's my only hope. He's my only peace. Psalm 124, a song of ascents. What that means is they used to sing this. The people of Israel would sing this on their way to Jerusalem for the feasts. They would sing these songs of ascents which would prepare their hearts and their minds to enter into the presence of God in Jerusalem. Well, we don't have to go to Jerusalem. Jesus came down from heaven to dwell in us. Israel was located where Israel was located for a deliberate reason. It wasn't just a random choice God made that he would have his people, his chosen people, Israel, through whom would come the Messiah, that the promised land is where it is. In that day, all commerce between the east and the west, the north and the south, had to go through Israel. And God put his people in Israel and said, you be a testimony to who I am. You be a testimony to who I am. When Jesus came and he birthed the church, with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he didn't say stay in one place and let the world come to you. He said go into all the world. And the church dispersed to every corner of the earth to share the gospel. We exist to tell people about God and to share the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. But our hope, and Israel would Look to draw near to God. It's why we need to draw near to God through these songs of ascents. And I just love these words. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that today. God is on our side. 
when we're walking with him, when we set him before our face, as the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 8, I set him continually before me. And because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. The world shouldn't move us. Steadfast and immovable in Christ is who we are. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, let the church now say, let the believers at Calvary Chapel of Wichita now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Oh, there are days I feel like that, and I'm sure you do too, that the world system is trying to swallow us alive. But I'm alive in Christ, and you're alive in Christ, and Christ lives in us. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, the Lord's on our side. What can man do to us? What can he do? Oh, he can torment, he can tempt. He can attack. The word of God doesn't say there won't be enemies coming against us. It just tells us they will not prosper against the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you and I in a world that is doing their best to thumb their nose at God to reject him. And we in the church have to stand firm for such a time as this because it's the only time we can stand firm. I can't stand firm in a time I didn't exist and I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. So, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us, when the waters would have overwhelmed us, the streams would have gone over our soul, the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. That's a perspective that David had when he took his eyes off of God. This is what would happen if I didn't remember God was on my side. I would be overwhelmed. What did God say through Isaiah? Though the flood waters rise, they will not overtake you. Though the fire comes, you will not be burned. You will not be scorched. Why? Because God is on our side. It doesn't mean there won't be trouble. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And then he said, be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. I haven't overcome the world. Christ in me has overcome the world. Christ in me has overcome the world. And then he goes on to say, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Do you believe you're fearfully and wonderfully made? I am. Oh, the body's falling apart. Replaced shoulder, replaced hip, hearing aids, glasses, and who knows what else is wrong with this body. But I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. The one who formed out of nothing 
all that there is. And he fearfully and wonderfully made you. Before he formed you, he knew you. Who's on our side? The maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth is on our side and he said, I've won. I want to encourage you this morning. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. Jesus already won. The battle, the war is over. The skirmishes are still happening. You know, I remember the stories that I heard after. I wasn't alive for World War II. You know, I was born right after the end of it. But I remember the stories of people on some of the islands, you know, whether they were the Japanese soldiers or whatever. You know, I mean, they're fighting a war years after. It was over. They were still skirmishing. But the war was over. Jesus has said to us, the war is over, brothers and sisters. I've won. Not only did he die for our sin, but he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And as a result of that, you and I can live in a world that is troubled. If you want to jump over to 2 Timothy right now. In chapter 3, just some verses here that just give a picture. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 give a picture of the world in which we live. Which could be very, very disheartening if we forgot that the Lord was on our side. But in verse 1, it says, But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstorm, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, if you were to give this list to to unbelieving people, they would look at you and say, oh, that's crazy. Because they're looking at everything from the wrong perspective. You know, if your scale is off, you're going to have a wrong idea about how much you have. Well, the world is looking with the world wrong perspective. The world truly believes. They truly, truly believe because the God of this age has blinded their eyes and they've been deceived. They truly believe that man is inherently good. And yet leaders, leaders around the globe are proclaiming things that are evil and calling it good. I just mentioned Mayor Adams in New York City. That's evil, guys. That is evil. The description here fits what is going on around us. And the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is Jesus. And Jesus, is he appearing in dreams and visions to Muslims around the world? Absolutely he is. People are being saved through dreams and visions around the world. But he's also called you and I into the process. He's called you and I into the process. If you are a Christian, you are a missionary. The question is, are you you living as a missionary? We have this idea that missionaries are those who go to the uttermost parts of the earth. What about those in their own Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? That's us. 
That's you and I. We are missionaries. We're on a mission with Jesus, for Jesus, to proclaim the truth in love. It's who we are. We can't get around that. We can try to hide. We can try to pretend it's not who we are. But that's who you are. That's who I am. And this list here, this list here, which doesn't need a lot more description. I don't need to tell you what all these mean because you know what they mean. You understand what they mean and you see it as well as I do. We see it around the world. And in the middle of it, verse 5 is so key. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. What does it mean to have a form of godliness and deny the power? It means to deny that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. They believe in God, whatever they choose to make God be. You know, when you read through the Old Testament, you just got to chuckle sometimes at the stupidity and the ignorance of people. You know, Laban. You think of Laban, right? You ran away. You ran away from me. And you stole my God. If your God can be stolen from you, what kind of God is it? Right? I mean, just think about that. And isn't that what people are setting up as gods? Dagon, fall over, and his head breaks off. Well, let's put them back together. Well, we can't get them back together perfectly, so what we'll do is we'll put a threshold on the floor and say, don't step on that. Oh, that makes great sense. Well, we can come to today, and we can look at the foolishness of people, but we have to remember something. Jesus died for the fools. He died for me. And God chooses the foolish to confound the wise by saving the foolish. Because the fool says in their heart, there is no God. And the fool says in their heart, I can have God without it being Jesus. That's what the fool says today. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Because there is only power in Jesus Christ. There is only salvation in Jesus Christ. There is no other. You know, I know Gail Irwin's been out here. You know, our brother Gail, he's moved into assisted living out there in Santa Ana now. His, his wife Ada went home to be with the Lord not long ago. He's going into assisted living, his ministry. He's not going to be traveling anymore or whatever. But if you've ever seen Gail, you have to love his one string, Jesus. If you've got another string, lose it. If you think something else is, is what you need besides Jesus, get rid of it. You know, you may think I'm standing up here and I'm being pretty hard and I'm being pretty bold, but I am. <laughs> you know why? Because it's the only thing that matters. Jesus is all that matters. This earth is passing away. Day by day, it's passing away. The signs are there. Those of you in the room, you know, you know, Dennis Barber, I'm sure you guys can remember the days in the tent and, you know, the imminency of the return and that urgency and that feel like the Lord is coming any moment. And, you know, here we are 60 years later. But the imminency is still here, but not for everybody. 
We've lost sight of it because they'll say to the scoffers are saying, where is the return of the Lord? He's coming. He's coming. Don't be gloating that he hasn't come yet, unbelievers. It's because of his long suffering and his mercy. But he's called us to go in to the world with the gospel, with the truth, with the only thing that can set people free, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who have a form of godliness and deny its power, turn away from such. You know, proclaim it. Share the truth. But at some point the Lord says, you've done your part. Someone else may come along. And you may be the answer. Do you ever thought, think that you could be the answer to some grandmother's prayer? Some grandmother, you know, in another part of the world is praying for their grandchild here in Wichita. Praying, oh God, every direction they turn, let them encounter the true and living Jesus Christ in his children. And God could be directing you to that grandchild because some have already planted, some have already watered, and maybe you need to water it a little bit more, but God will make it grow. And you could be the answer because God is using us. He's using us. He uses us. When we're like Isaiah, you know what? I love the story of Isaiah. You know what I love about the story of Isaiah? Something that most people don't pick up on. God didn't say, Isaiah, hi, Isaiah, I got a job for you. I want you to go over here. Isaiah was given a glimpse of God in all of his glory and overheard God saying, whom shall go for us? And Isaiah's only response was, here I am, send me. When you're in the presence of God, that's the only right answer, is here I am, use me, send me. I love that. And God's doing that today in us. God speaks to us. Those of you who, you know, I mentioned it, I have hearing aids, and some of you have you know, have been around me and know. If you're walking behind me and you talk, say something to me and I ignore you, I'm not being rude. I really don't hear. And sometimes when I do hear, I have no idea where it's coming from. Hearing aids are not as good as our ears. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> you know, God made the ear. Man does their best with a hearing aid, you know. But I don't hear God's voice audibly. I don't always hear your voice audibly, you know? But what I do know is that God's voice will always lead me with the peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. That's the voice of God. And when God is calling us to go minister to that person that you don't even know why God would send you to them. I have a friend, his name is Zavon. Zavon's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Zavon come, comes in. Barbara, Dennis, you see Zavon and Dee. They're on, a, on the prayer meeting in the morning that we, we participate in. And, you know, um, Zavon is from Serbia. Zavon and Dee, she's from uh, Slovenia. He's from Serbia. They um, escaped Serbia when the war started back in the 80s. They had to get out because he was warned by all the top people in the military you're going to be conscripted, and he wouldn't fight the battle. So he and his family, some of the family immigrated to the U.S., some went to Australia. Um, Zavon's cousin is, is, is Nick Vojicic. Nick is uh, someone who has no arms and legs. 
who testifies for Jesus Christ all over. You may have seen his videos. But Zavon is his cousin. And Zavon will constantly, if he's got nothing to do, you know, he has his own business. Sometimes he's got some free time in his hand. There's a Lowe's, you know, improvement store right up the street from his house. And Zavon pulls up at the improvement center at Lowe's, stands at the door and says, okay, God, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you have for me today? And he'll walk through and he'll hear, not that one. Nope, nope, not him. That's the one. And he'll just walk up to them and he'll say, I know this is going to sound strange in his Serbian accent. He says, I know this is going to sound strange, but the Lord asked me to come up and talk to you and tell you he loves you. People break down in tears. That could be you being used of God in incredible ways if we're just willing to step out of our comfort zone. You know, the beginning of this chapter 3 tells us about the world, but if we jump down to verse 10, it begins to talk about us as the church. But you. That's them. That's why we're told not to conform to this world, because that's them. But you, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, everything that's happened to me. But you, you've seen the truth. You've seen it lived in me. That's why it's so important to live for Christ. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, said similar things about Timothy when he said to him, and I shared this, you know, last night with the young adults, that when Paul was speaking to those, to Timothy, he said, let no one despise your youth. And we like to talk about that part of the, the scripture, especially with young people. That is used so often for junior high graduations. Paul was in his 30s. He wasn't graduating, from, or Timothy was in his 30s. He wasn't graduating from, from junior high. The real exhortation that he gave him is be an example in word, in conduct, in spirit, in purity. Paul is saying, that's what you've seen in me. In this letter, he says, you saw that in me. That's why I told you to live that way. That's why he's telling us to live that way today, to be an example to others. You've followed this. You've lived that way, you know. He goes on and says, verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't care what translation you have, it says all. All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. We've been comfortable in this nation. We've expected the government to make church legal. God never called us to have the government make church legal. He called us as believers to make Jesus Christ known. And so he says here, you will suffer persecution. I've mentioned a couple times this prayer meeting I do every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time, and I haven't done it since I'm out here because I've been able to get myself on the right schedule and I'm running around a little much. But since the pandemic started over two years ago, it's been over two years, almost every single day we have met from around the world. Dennis and Barbara come on here from Wichita. 
We got a, a number of people who come on from the west coast of the United States. It's, it's 4 a.m. their time, and they're on faithfully praying. But included in our, in our group is a guy by the name of Hetty. Hetty is a believer in Iraq. He works with the Kurds and the Yazidi people. And Hetty is a believer. And Hetty comes from a Muslim background and is not accepted by his family, as many of them are. And Hetty comes on regularly to pray. And Hetty will come on, and, or we'll find out from others who come on from that neighborhood, Hetty's in jail again. You know, the Muslims are coming at him. Every time Hetty goes to jail, someone gets saved. And then he gets out. And then the family turns him back over. You know? That's going on around the world with our brothers and sisters who say, I don't care if I'm thrown in jail. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ anyway. I don't care if they put a gun to my head. I will not deny my Lord Jesus Christ. We have somebody say, that works for you, and we're, ooh, I better shut my mouth. We're called to be bold. We're called to be courageous. I can't do it, but Jesus Christ in me can. The Holy Spirit that we always pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God says, I already have. The problem's not me filling you with my spirit. The problem is you're not listening to my spirit who dwells not just with you, but in you. Now, I get it, we're told to keep asking, but that's, I think, so that we remain aware of our need for the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, he says, you will suffer persecution. Evil men, impostors, will grow worse and worse. You know, the things I knew were true. Even three years ago, I used to say, I was saying 10 years ago, I, I've had to up it to three years. The things I knew were true three years ago. The mark of the beast. I had a hard time envisioning how that would ever come. I have had no problem believing people will take the mark of the beast. None whatsoever. I didn't know how it would happen. I didn't realize it could, like that, people's hearts could be changed. All these things that God said were true, and we knew they were true. We're now living in the midst of them. They're getting worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. That's why Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're due, but they're still going to be held accountable. They're not going to walk and say, well, I didn't realize that was true. They're going to stand before God and say, I didn't realize it was true. They're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of my Father. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We have this mind in the church that asks people, do you know Jesus? And I know what we're doing when we say that, but the real question is, does Jesus know you? Because Jesus is the one who will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you did not put your full trust in me, in repentance and conversion. And he says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Teaching that goes on here in churches like this, you have the opportunity to be taught from so many places, but don't ever let that take the place of being within the body of Christ, assembling together. But the things you've been taught and you've learned, some of them since childhood, in Timothy's cases with childhood, his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, were great believers. 
You know, Timothy, the things you've known since a youth, you've been assured of them from childhood. You have known the scriptures. You've known the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures. It comes back to the scriptures as being taught by the, by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by inspiration. It is God-breathed. Literally, that's what it means. God breathed out the word of God. All of the scripture that we have. We don't get to pick and choose what part do I want to accept. I don't get to do that. Because if, if I can do that, I can do that with all of the scriptures. And, and people are. And they are. And they're saying, well, that's not what it means. You know, I remember years, years ago, and now it's even much worse, you know. It was actually said by some of the, the churches that were endorsing, you know, same-sex relationships. They actually were saying, we know more about homosexuality than Jesus does. Oh, my God, no. No. But that's what they're doing. That's what they're believing. They're deceived. They're deceived. And that's why they need our prayers. And that's why they need the truth. The truth to set them free. Because it's given by inspiration of God. Profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That the man or woman of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you feel incomplete? I know I do. But the answer to my incompleteness is the completeness that comes from knowing the scriptures and the Holy Spirit working in me with the scriptures and bringing to recollection, bringing to remembrance, helping me to understand things I've read dozens of times, but all of a sudden, you ever have that happen? You've read a passage 20 times and all of a sudden you read it and it's like, whoa, has that been there the whole time? Yeah. It's just you weren't ready for it. And God said, now you are. So I'm going to reveal. I'm going to give you another glimpse of me. I'm going to let you see me that you might live for me, thoroughly equipped. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the, and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out but I don't feel like it. Get over it. <laughs> Get over it. I mean, what's this nonsense about I don't feel like it? Thankfully, Jesus didn't say that. I don't feel like it. Because we know he didn't when he said, if there be another way. He got past the feelings to the truth. My feelings lie to me all the time. It's only when I bring them under the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God that I can direct my feelings in a way that I do it. But he says, be ready in season and out. Be ready in season and out. I love what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set the Lord God apart in your heart and always be ready to give a, to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready to give a defense for what you believe. 
when they ask. Are people asking you why you have hope? When they ask you for the reason that for the hope within you, you can talk about Jesus. Do they see hope in you? Do they see hope in me? I'm supposed to make Jew and Gentile jealous of my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I'm supposed to live as a people of hope so that people would ask me, why are you different? Why are you different? Why do you have hope in the middle of a pandemic? Why do you have hope? I have hope because it's built on Jesus Christ <coughs> and no other reason. <coughs> you know, we live in a day. We live in a day. And, you know, there's so many, there's so many evidences of what's going on around us that God spoke to. And he's told us to be prepared. He's told us to be ready. And he's told us, I've given you all that you need for life and godliness. I've given you the word of God. First, I've given you salvation. I've given you salvation. I've given you the word of God. I've given you the spirit of God. And I've given you the body of Christ. Everything we need for life and godliness, he's given to us that we could live strong and boldly. You know, and that we would in the midst of, as Paul told the Philippians, in the midst, Philippians chapter 2, do all things, verse 14, without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a wicked, of a crooked and perverse generation. It's where we're living. It's not wicked and a perverse, but we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be living for him. We live in a day where, as we look about everything that's going on, as we look at all that's going on in the world, and we see all of these problems, we have the answer. God saw fit that the answer would always be there. And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. That's why I love that Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, the only thing that can set them on the right path is Jesus. Jesus, salvation by the blood of the Lamb is the only thing that can set people free. You know, Paul told us, be that those people among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let your light so shine before men they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, we sang that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. Are we letting it shine? Is the light of Christ shining in us? See, ours is not to make sure they see the light. Ours is only to make sure the light is shining in us. Remember what John told us in the beginning of his gospel? 
about Jesus. You know, though he was in the world, the world rejected him. Why? Because they loved darkness rather than light. We once not only were in darkness, the scripture says we once were darkness, but now are light. We're new. He's changed us. We live in a world that Amos warned us about. In Amos chapter chapter 8, he warned us. God says these words, I will send famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of the hearing of the word of God doesn't say there's a famine of the word of God going forth. It says there's a famine of the hearing of the word of God. See, we can't make them hear. I can't tell you how many people I've had to say, tell. Even recently, you know, my kids, they, they just won't listen to me. I said, you can't make them, especially when they're adults. You can't make anyone. All you can do is point them in the right direction and then turn them over to trust in God. My final verses today come from Hebrews chapter 2. I love the book of Hebrews. The beginning part of the book of Hebrews tells us how Jesus is above everything, above the angels, above Moses, above it all. And in the midst of it, it <clears throat> he, the, 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 the author of Hebrews tells us a few things. In chapter 2, he tells us that, you know, um, <coughs> beginning in, 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 in verse 6, he starts to tell us how Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a season, you know, and that we, man, are a little lower than angels for a season, but God has put everything under subjection to man. He said that. I put everything under subjection. And then in verse 8, it goes on to say, for in that he, God, put all in subjection under him, man, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Is that a perfect description of today's world? Jesus is on the throne. He's sovereign, ruling and reigning. Everything is under subjection. But we don't see it under subjection, do we? I mean, all of us would have to agree to that. Verse 9, but we see Jesus. It's why we're told to put our thoughts and our minds in the heavenlies and not on the earthly. It's why we're told to have the mind of Christ in us. I remember when I got saved in the Baptist church I was going to, when I got saved, many, many people would tell me, oh, God gave you a mind and he expects you to use it. And then I started reading the Bible and said, God said, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. I didn't tell you to use your mind. I told you to let the mind of Christ be in you. Let the mind of Christ be in us. And so that's why we need to see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. I'm thankful for Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and John. Even Paul, who told us he saw things of which it's lawful to even speak. They were given little glimpses that not every one of us has given. 
But they were given glimpses, but we're given a glimpse of Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for you. He's crowned with glory and honor. Do you see Jesus crowned with glory and honor right now? Do you see him ever living to make intercession for you? Do you see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father right now? I do. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, Dad, look at our children. The ones down there in Wichita and other places. They're gathering together today. And many of them are really being fed. And many of them are growing. And many of them are going to go out and do. Dad, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this wonderful? This is why you sent me, Father. This is why I died for them that they would grow with me. Do you see Jesus saying, Tommy, look at Tommy. Look at Dennis. Look at Patrick. Look at Ann. And all the rest of you. Look at Chris. Look at Mike. Look at them. Do you see them? Do you see Jesus right now saying your name to the Father? Because he is. He is. And he wants you to know that. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And we await that trumpet, don't we? The trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. But before that happens, and I pray Maranatha all the time, but before I pray Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I pray, Hosanna, save now. Save now. Save now. Jesus, and I thank God right now. One of the blessings for me, being able to come out and, and to share at churches, and I do a number, I, I share a lot in the New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania area. I don't usually travel. Um, my days of getting on an airplane are pretty much done. you know. But one of the blessings that I get of coming here to, and being with you guys today and those who will be here the next service is I get to meet my family before heaven. I get to meet my family before heaven because we're going to spend eternity with Jesus, with one another. And as we pray Hosanna, save now, even while we've been meeting around the globe, many, many, I don't know how many people have been born again of the Spirit. There's been repentance and there's been conversion. There's been transformation by the blood of the Lamb. Because planting has happened and watering has happened and God is making it grow. And God is adding daily to the church those who are being saved. Because that's God's job. Don't lose heart. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. But don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We bless your name. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. We give you the glory because you're an amazing God, a wonderful God, an awesome God, a God filled, filled with love and mercy, but a God who is righteous and holy. And we thank you that justice and mercy have met at the cross. We thank you that you were able to remain just and righteous and holy and at the same time be merciful because of Jesus. And so, God, I pray that you would just continue to open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might see Jesus crowned with glory and honor, knowing that you who began the good work will be faithful to complete it 
until the day of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.